0: I'm Pastor Darrell Curtis, and this is my 74th Sermon on the Biblical Design of Gender, in which my point is to thank those virtuous wives that have submitted to and seduced husbands to sharpen us and use their physical and emotional resources to raise strong, virtuous children into adulthood. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. Good morning on this uh, eighth day of the month of May. and like to wish all the mothers a happy Mother's Day today. Uh, our lesson for this morning is the uh, 74th part in our sermon series on the biblical design of gender, and the text is in the 14th verse of the fourth chapter of the book of Esther. And in it, the Bible says this, For if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house shall perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit and for his ability to explain your word. So Lord, give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity and with boldness and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, Thank you very much for coming to hear our message for this morning. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. And our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge, in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life now last week our topic was the connection between idolatry harlotry and sexual immorality we discussed the example of the prophet hosea whom god instructed to marry a wife that did not have sterling moral credentials and this week We are going to begin by talking about a wife that was not guilty of moral turpitude, but of a different kind of disobedience to God's instructions. The episode begins in the palace of the king of Persia, who was regent over a vast kingdom that stretched from India to Ethiopia, and who was giving a feast for his noblemen as part of a national celebration in which the king displayed the riches of the kingdom. As the exhibits were viewed, the food was eaten and the wine flowed, the king decided to display his most precious treasure. Esther chapter 1 verse 10 and 11 tell us, On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing her royal crown, in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. Now let me make it clear that the king was not asking the queen to come out wearing only her crown. The king expected the queen to wear her royal finery with her crown. The king only actually intended to display the queen's flesh to the kingdom from the neck up. Thus, the king was both surprised and displeased by the queen's response. Esther chapter 1 verse 12 records, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore, the king was furious and his anger burned within him. The relevant passage of scripture is Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 through 24, which says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Ephesians five twenty-two 22-24 is not a commandment. It is an instruction. And you may ask, what's the difference? Well, a commandment has a penalty attached to it while an instruction does not the violation of a commandment is a sin and the wages of sin is death but instructions tell us how to get things to work properly the violation of an instruction does not have a penalty attached to it most computer equipment comes with installation instructions but if you install the equipment contrary to the instructions, there is no penalty. The equipment manufacturer would not come to your house and give you a spanking. However, the equipment may not work properly and may not perform the task for which you bought it. Similarly, God instructs wives that the best way to operate a husband is to submit to him. Now, you don't have to follow God's instructions, but to do so is the best way to make a husband work properly, as the Persian queen soon found out. Now, I make this argument to counter the argument that God's word is biased towards husbands. God's word is not biased. Ephesians 5, 22, 24 is simply an instruction that tells wives the best way to get that which they want from their husbands. After the queen's refusal to submit, the king met with his counselors, listened to their advice, and followed it. In Esther chapter 1 verse 18 through 20, the king's counselors said, This very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus there will be excessive contempt and wrath if it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him, and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it will not be altered, that Vashti shall come no more before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. When the king's decree which he will make is proclaimed throughout all his empire, for it is great, All wives will honor their husbands, both great and small. Now, things don't work properly when they are operated contrary to the instructions, as the queen found out. The king exercised his option to deny the ex-queen any future consideration because of her failure to submit. The ex-queen was under the misconception that her position as queen was a permanent position, but in life, there is no such thing as a permanent position. Every position, regardless of how permanent that we may think that it is, is to some degree contingent upon performance, and everyone can be fired. During my lifetime, a president of the United States left office voluntarily, before completing the term for which he was elected to avoid being impeached. The prestige of the position notwithstanding, poor performance will only be tolerated for so long before the incumbent is replaced. So after firing the ex-queen, the king held a competition to replace her. Esther chapter 2 verses 2 through 4 tell us Then the king's servant who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan the citadel into the women's quarters under the custody of Haggai the king's unit, custodian of the women, and let beauty preparations be given there. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This thing pleased the king, and he did so. The qualification to enter the queen replacement contest was virginity, as I mentioned during our discussion last week about promiscuous young women that choose to be unpaid whores. Not only did the king not want anyone singing, She used to be my girl at his next wedding. The king also did not want his next bride, bringing any emotional or physical problems to the royal bedroom. Now, Israel's persistent idolatry is the reason that the Persian king's marital troubles are a biblical topic. God allowed the Assyrians and the Babylonians to defeat and deport the Israelites out of the promised land. Then God allowed the Persians to defeat both the Assyrians and the Babylonians, taking over the territory into which the Israelites were deported. And since the Israelites lived in Persian territory, some of the beautiful young virgins that were brought to the queen competition were Israelites. And the king selected one of the Israelite young women, Esther, to be his new queen. And since the Old Testament is the history of the Israelites, a Persian queen who was an Israelite qualifies to be part of biblical history. Now, Esther curried favor with the selection committee by being submissive. Esther chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 15 tell us, So it was, when the king's command and decree were heard, and when many young women were gathered at Shushan the citadel, under the custody of Hagai, that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the care of Hagai, the custodian of the women. Now Esther pleased Hagai, and she obtained his favor, so he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. Then seven choice maid-servants were provided for Esther from the king's palace and Haggai moved Esther and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. Now, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abahel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as her daughter, to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's unit, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. Esther cultivated the custodian, sought his counsel, and then submissively auditioned before the king in the manner that the custodian advised. The custodian had been a member of the royal household long enough to know that which the king preferred in a wife. Esther's wise uncle Mordecai, who parented her during her formative years after she was orphaned, taught her submissiveness and Esther, being a beautiful, well-prepared, submissive, and intelligent young woman with the ability and willingness to follow instructions, won the heart of a king that had recently had a negative experience with a wife that chose to be independent. Now, shortly after Esther's coronation, Mordecai came upon information about a plot against the king and instructed Queen Esther to warn him. Esther submissively complied as Esther chapter 2, verse 21 through 23 records. In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, doorkeepers became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name and when an inquiry was made into the matter it was confirmed and both were hanged on a gallows and it was written in the book of the chronicles in the presence of the king queen vashti was hostile and uncooperative refusing to present her regal beauty for the king's pleasure queen esther submitted to the advice of the custodian displaying herself to the king in the best possible light to become queen and then thwarted the plot against the king by submitting to her uncle esther had her uncle's heart and along the way to her becoming queen she gained both the heart of the custodian of the women and the heart of the king and esther captivated these men by presenting her visually pleasing personal presence and by submissively following their suggestions, which are the biblical instructions for women seeking to obtain the love of men. God's instructions for male-female relations are not exclusively for women. God has instructions for men as well. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 28 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now this instruction explains why Mother's Day is a much bigger celebration than Father's Day. A husband is admonished by God to love his wife. And the most effective way for a husband to show love to his wife is to publicly recognize the contribution that she has made to his life. Wives feel most important and thus most loved when they receive public expressions chronicling their value and their husband's love. That's why day celebrating wives, such as weddings and Mother's Day, are generally such large productions. Boys and young men that do not have wives generally do have mothers who have submitted themselves in order to care for the needs of their child. And I cannot think of an act that calls for a person to submit more of themselves than the act of giving birth. Not only that, but after the physical birth process is complete, the mother is responsible for the physical and emotional development of the child that she has brought into the world. And then our last lesson, to which you can listen or read at familylifebc.com, I chronicle the unique physical and psychological characteristics of a mother that bonds her to her children, especially when they are unable to take care of themselves. First John chapter four, verse 19 tells us of Jesus. We love him because he first loved us. And if we love Jesus because he first loved us, we must certainly love our mothers for the same reason. Those mothers that have performed the dual role of submitting to a husband and caring for children are worthy of double honor. Now, the instructions for male-female relationships in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22 to 28 are both sequential and reciprocal. Sequential meaning that in the normative case, as a husband's confidence that his wife will be submissive to him increases, his love for her will grow and develop. Reciprocal meaning that in the normative case, male-female relationships depend upon each partner reciprocally providing the biblical response, either submission or love, to the other. And as our takeaway point tells us, God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Without cooperation between spouses, the coalition falls apart as we see that a lack of cooperation destroyed the relationship between the king and the first queen. And don't forget that the coalition can fall apart. This episode is recorded in the Bible for a reason. It is an instruction. But things look much better for the king and his new submissive, Queen Esther, until the king appointed a new counselor. Esther chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 records, After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadah the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Those of us who are Bible readers know that God rescued the three Hebrew captives in Babylon from death in the fiery furnace when they refused to bow down to the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar constructed. Mordecai was emulating their example in this episode. And Mordecai found himself in a similar situation as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, except that rather than Haman throwing Mordecai into the fiery furnace by himself, Haman schemed to put all the Israelites in the furnace with Mordecai. Esther chapter 3, verse 6, 8, and 9 tells us, But Haman disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for the king's servants had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. Now the king agreed, and Haman published the decree that on the 13th day of the 12th month, the royal treasury would pay those that followed the king's command to kill the Israelites and seize their possessions and when mordecai read haman's decree mordecai instructed esther to speak to the king about the pending execution of the israelites but esther being a submissive wife to the king hesitated she explained her hesitation to mordecai in esther chapter 4 verse 11 which says all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king, who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these thirty days. Now Esther was the beautiful ceremonial queen that graced the king's side on state occasions but she was certainly not the king's only female refreshment. And since the great feast was completed and there were not any state occasions on the calendar, Esther's regal services had not been requested by the king for a month. And people did not just go in to see the king because they wanted to. You could not call to make an appointment. And if you decided to just drop by, that might be the last drop that you ever made. But the urgency of the moment overrode even Esther's submissiveness to the king and the law. Esther chapter 4 verse 13 and 14 records, And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. The three Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel took the chance that God would intervene on their behalf. Daniel chapter three, verse 16 through 18 tells us, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Now it is Esther's turn to take the chance that God would intervene on her behalf. So she admonished her countrymen to call on God. Esther chapter four, verse 15 and 16 records, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish... I now, Esther is not going to see the king for a frivolously irrelevant reason. Esther has a serious life and death matter in mind. However, it is good for Esther's chances that she has a track record of being submissive because it is much less likely that the king would execute a submissive queen than an annoying one. As the sequential segmentation of the scripture in Ephesians 5 indicates, when a wife is submissive, her husband's love for her grows and develops. So when the time of prayer and fasting were completed, Esther gathered her courage and acted to save her people by stimulating her husband's love for her. Esther chapter 5 verse 1 records, Now it happened on the third day, that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. Remember the first queen that would not dress in her royal finery for the king's pleasure? Esther learned from the first queen's negative example and wore the royal garments that the king found most attractive as she disobeyed the law and approached him. Esther did not want the king thinking about her breach of the law when he saw her, but rather about her personal attractiveness that influenced the king to make her the queen in the first place. Feminine wiles are given to wives to make a husband like putty in his wife's hand. A husband can go to work and have a terrible day, be financially stressed and have all kinds of trouble. But coming home to a seductive, submissive wife can relieve him of all his troubles and all his cares without actually changing his situation. And that is the reason that wives are constructed in the way that they are. Genesis chapter two, verse 23 to 25 gives us the first mention of a husband concentrating on the attractiveness of a wife. As it says, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. A wife can distract a husband from the troubles of this world by reminding him visually of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And Esther's plan was to do so. And when the king saw the beautiful Esther in her royal robes, her transgression of the law was not that which came to his mind, as Esther chapter five, verse two and three records. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter and the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. When a wife reminds her husband of Genesis 2.24, the gifts just keep on coming. Ladies, if your Mother's Day celebration is not all that you think it should be, you might want to keep this little fact in mind for next year. And the sexual seduction of a husband by a wife to achieve her objective is biblical because at creation in Genesis 2.24, God himself invented it. The one that tells wives that they should argue and fight with their husbands to get their way, rather than submit to and seduce their husbands to get their way, is not God, but is the devil. Seduction and submission are fun and effective. They make for a happy marriage, and the devil wants you to have the opposite. The devil loves divorce because in Malachi two sixteen, God says that he hates divorce. So the lesson from your college women's studies class that seducing a husband is beneath a wife is straight from the pit of hell. And also, contrary to that class, God does not tell unmarried women to seduce their boyfriends, have their boyfriend's children, or move in with them outside of wedlock. Hebrews 13 and 4 tells us, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed, meaning sexuality in marriage, is undefiled. But fornication and adulterers, God will judge. Satan has endeavored to turn sexual seduction and pleasure completely upside down. He tells wives that they are liberated if they deny their husbands and single women that they are liberated if they have sex with their boyfriends, which is the exact opposite of that which God teaches. Liberation is liberation from God's morality and good sense. And we, like fools, fall for it. So pretty lingerie, titillation, seductiveness, sexual playfulness, and sex are to be used by wives for the pleasurable manipulation of their husband, as Genesis two twenty four tells us that a husband shall be joined to his wife, not his girlfriend or the lady down the street, and the concept in Genesis two twenty four is both sequential and reciprocal. Not only is the husband to keep himself only to his wife, but 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 tells us, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The one that incites men to be adulterous and women to withhold themselves to break up marriages is Satan. So a husband ought not commit adultery while a wife ought not commit deprivation. God's instructions to married couples are sequential and reciprocal. Now, Esther was seducing her husband, the king. The king was ready to give Esther half the kingdom, which is more than I think Tiger gave his ex-wife. But Esther was still at work because she wanted the king to rescind a law that by law could not be changed. So Esther, having used her sensuality, decided to use her other feminine wile to get her husband to do that which she wanted. In Esther chapter five, verse four, Esther answered, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for them. Now, my mother must have been one of Esther's counselor because Esther was pulling out all the stops. Seduction followed by a meal. What more can a man ask for? What more can a king ask for? What more can anyone ask for? The king was being played and played well as he thought that he hit the jackpot. So the king and his boy Haman went to Esther's banquet. And after they had well eaten and drunk, the king asked Esther once again to tell him her request. Esther chapter 5 verse 7 and 8 records, Then Esther answered and said, My petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Esther wants the king's nose so wide open that she can drive her carriage through it. The king is looking forward to the next day, so much so that he is spending a sleepless night. He decided to catch up on the news, and the Chronicle reader read of Mordecai revealing the plot to kill the king. And the king determined that Mordecai had not received a reward for his service. Esther chapter 6, verse 6 through 10 records, So Haman came in and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor then the king said to haman hurry take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so For Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate, leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. Now Haman was coming to get the king's permission to hang that same Mordecai the Jew on the 75 foot high gallows that he had constructed for the purpose. But Haman did not anticipate that the king would instruct him to honor Mordecai. Haman was dismayed, but he had to follow the king's instructions. And while honoring Mordecai, Haman made himself feel better by concentrating on being honored at the queen's banquet the next day. And after Esther's great meal, the king again asked Esther for her request. Esther chapter 7 verse 3 through 8 records, Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition, and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Then the king rose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. When the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. They covered Haman's face because they knew that the jig was up. The king immediately commanded that Haman be hung on the gallows that he constructed to hang Mordecai. And a request from Esther, the attractive, virtuous, submissive queen, ultimately had more influence over the king and the kingdom than did the second-in-command to the king, the self-aggrandizing, scheming, counselor Haman. And after dispatching Haman to the afterlife, the king made Mordecai his chief counselor in the place of Haman and gave Mordecai the authority to deal with the situation. Mordecai did that which he thought was correct to rectify the situation. Esther chapter 8 verse 10 and 11 records, And Mordecai wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses bred from swift steeds. By these letters, the king permitted the Jews, who were in every city, to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. Now when the day came, the Jews were successfully able to defend themselves against their enemies because of the good Queen Esther. As Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10 through 12 tells us, who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And so on this Mother's Day, we thank those virtuous wives that have used submission and seduction to manipulate and mold us their husbands and have used their physical bodies to bring our children into the world and have used their emotional resources to comfort our children and cooperate with us to raise strong boys and virtuous girls into adulthood as Proverbs 31 28 through 31 tells us, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gate. And along with seduction and submission, Esther depended on God. And a God-fearing wife in our generation relies on Jesus Christ, as John three sixteen and 17 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So let us all submit to the king, that is the king of king and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, and keep his commandment to cement our marriages. As John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 tells us, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Thank you, dear, and have a happy Mother's Day. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you today for those that have sacrificed their very bodies for us to bring us into the world to bring our children into the world, to nurture us from their very personal essence, to give us sustenance before we are born and then after we are born. And then when we reach reached chronological maturity, have married us and cared for us, giving us their very bodies as our personal sacrifice that we might have a loving relationship And we ask you today, Lord, that you would bless every mother that has born a child, bless every mother that has comforted a husband, bless every mother that has followed your commandments and kept your program to be a helpmate to a man. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would go with us men and stand by us and help us to show love to our wives, to care for them And give them honor, even as the weaker vessel, and as our joint heirs of life, that our prayers might not be hidden. And Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. And we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place. And then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. For rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.